This is My Rank Edges Busted, a podcast produced by Agriculture Victoria. I'm Gemma Pearl, and here we talk about all things climate and farming. In this episode, Agriculture Victoria seasonal risk agronomist Dale Gray and I talk to Bureau of Meteorology climate scientist Andrew Marshall about the southern annular mode. Andrew has been with the Bureau for more than 12 years and spends the majority of his time looking at multi-week to seasonal forecasts and understanding the different influences on Australian weather and climate. The Southern Annular Mode, or SAM for short, is probably one of the lesser-known climate drivers that has a significant effect on rainfall and temperature in southern Australia, both east and west. The Southern Annular Mode is one of these things that we call climate drivers or modes of variability you know, one of these major influences on Australia's climate. You know, there are several of them. They range from, you know, from up in the tropics, you know, the El Nino Southern Oscillation and the Madden Julian Oscillation, Indian Ocean Dipole. And then around our part of the world, there's, there are high, um, high pressure blocking events. And then when you get down towards Antarctica, there's the Southern Annular Mode. So that's really the, the major kind of mode of variability that affects us which really is centred over Antarctica, but it it, uh, makes its way here and and affects our climate. One of the interesting aspects of the southern annular mode that is different from the El Nino Southern Oscillation and the Indian Ocean Dipole is that the southern annular mode only affects the southern hemisphere. In the northern hemisphere, they have the northern annular mode. Yeah, that's right. And actually, my work started off looking at the northern annular mode first uh, before I even thought too much about the Southern Annular Mode. About 14 years ago, I was working at the UK Met Office in England, Exeter. And uh, yeah, a lot of my work was on the Northern Annular Mode. So I kind of had a really good introduction to the Annular Modes through that through that project work there. I was there for two years and then came back here and started to look at the SAM and and kind of thought, oh, you know, I think I kind of feel like I've looked at this before a little bit because, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. It was uh, kind of easy to, to step into the SAM work here, having, having looked at the northern annular mode stuff before. The southern annular mode is becoming more and more a part of the vocabulary when talking about conditions in southern Australia. But it has taken some time to get to our current level of knowledge. That's a really interesting thing that, you know, thinking about the SAM and the early observations, you know, kind of, you know, the, the late 50s, 60s and, and, and 70s were, you know, when this work really got started. But it wasn't really until the, uh, the noughties, until I think about 2007, I think Harry Hendon and co-authors uh, published a paper that was really the first paper, I think, looking at the impacts on Australian climate in those different seasons. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like it took, it took a good, you know, kind of 40 years or so before we really started to truly understand the SAM's impact on Australian climate. I mean, you know, even though, say, the Indian Ocean Dipole was really first properly discovered in 99, I think it was, so, you know, a good 20 years after the SAM, it's, it, you know, our understanding of it and its influences on Australian climate has kind of lagged actually so it's yeah it's been it's been more that that I think you know when we learn about the Indian Ocean Dipole we learnt pretty quickly about its impacts on Australian climate whereas the SAM has has taken a bit more time to to understand with its you know with regards to its local effects. So what are we talking about when we say southern annular mode? Yeah so around the southern hemisphere around the middle latitude so kind of around the 45 degree 
south, just kind of south, south of Tassie, that, that kind of latitude around the Southern Hemisphere. We have these, these really strong westerly winds that we often called the, you know, the, middle, the middle-latitude westerlies, the kind of the mid-level jet, um, sometimes you'll hear it described as. These are the really strong winds that, that, that circumnavigate the, the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and so you often get storms embedded within you know, within these westerly winds. So really, you know, the, the, the position of these winds, you know, has, has a huge influence on those frontal systems and things and you know, where those fronts, where they impact, you know, different parts of Australia or, or, you know, other parts around the Southern Hemisphere, you know, they are really guided by the position of those westerly winds. In 1957, the world's research bodies working in the Arctic and Antarctic agreed to take and share more data. This year was known as the International Geophysical Year. This explains why the data for SAM pre-1957 is less reliable. Dale explains which locations we do collect data from to assist with the SAM. Yes, so the the physical data that we have that measures the SAM uh, was, was the SAM index was invented by Dr Gareth Marshall from the British Antarctic Survey. Um, and he used a number of locations around the 40 degree latitude mark and a number of locations in the 65 degree latitude mark down around Antarctica. And the difference between those ones was able to determine whether it was a negative or a positive SAM phase. We would know some of the ones at the 40 degree uh, line, places like Hobart and Christchurch. The next one round is uh, Puerto Montt in, in Chile. And then we have Gough Island, Marion Island and Isle Nouvelle, Amsterdam or the island of New Amsterdam. But and around Antarctica itself, we have places that we may have heard of before, like Mawson and Casey Station. We have de Montdevel, which is a French station, and uh, Murny and Nova Lazarevskaya, which are both Russian. And we have Faraday, which is the British Antarctic Survey there as well, the Air Station. So the data from these ones is what first in, was used to construct the SAM index using actual physical measurements. These days, though, we just use the modelled pressure measurements at those latitudes at probably at much larger locations at just at those individual points. But that's the reason why the SAM index, SAM index doesn't go much further, well, it doesn't go back farther than 1957 in terms of physical measurements. It's been since the, you know, since the beginning of the satellite era, you know, the late 1970s, when we have been able to fill in a lot of those gaps and come up with a more, you know, kind of a, you know, more, I guess, coverage of the data around those regions to get a, you know, a more kind of a fuller understanding of the SAM and how it, you know, how it varies. There are three different phases of the Southern Annular Mode, positive, negative and neutral. Positive SAM is when those those westerly winds that circumnavigate the southern hemisphere, when they contract towards Antarctica or towards the South Pole, and when that happens, we see a drop in surface pressure at the higher latitude, so over the South Pole, over Antarctica, and we see an increase in the pressure around the middle latitudes. Uh, so that's the positive SAM phase. And the opposite, the negative SAM phase, is when those those westerly winds, that westerly wind belt expands towards the equator. And when that happens, we see higher pressure over the South Pole. We get a drop in pressure around the middle latitudes. 
and so that's that's really those those you know uh, that that transition between the positive and the negative SAM phase is when we see those those pressure changes happening in concert with those with those uh, changes in the position of the westerly winds. And of course, the neutral SAM phase is you know is kind of the average position of those winds when when we don't see those 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 movements towards the equator or towards the uh, the, the South Pole. And these 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 fluctuations, I, I should say, these meandering winds can you know can occur over days or weeks or months or even seasons so you know so the time scale really varies as well for these for, the, for these changes in in the wind flow and shifting north and south you know can occur over various time scales I, I like to I like to think of the positive Sam like the water going down the plug hole <laughs> it's a, the winds are getting faster as it's sort of getting sucked into the pole and anything that's in that area is getting dragged in closer to the pole. Um, obviously, it's not going down and disappearing down the hole, but but it's kind of that it's that centrifugal motion, I suppose, where things are spinning faster and they're getting pulled in towards the pole. And and then the yeah, obviously the negative Sam is the it's kind of the opposite that 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 force isn't there as much, and it kind of allows those frontal systems to drift up closer to Australia a bit less unimpeded. Positive SAM, which is when those winds speed up, would indicate a big differential in temperature. So is that colder around Antarctica or warmer at the mid-latitudes or both? Yeah, that, that's right. And that, and that links really closely to the temperature as well, you know, the, the temperature over the South Pole. So, you know, th- those, those winds and the speed of those winds really is coming from the, I guess, the response to the temperature differences between the South Pole and the mid-latitudes. And, and the stronger those temperature differences the faster those winds can rotate, um, you know. So, so it all feeds into the temperature, and then the pressure relates to the temperature, and and yeah, this is how you see all these different variables all kind of feed in and feed off one another to influence the movement of those winds and the speed of those winds as well. I'd say it was mostly fed by the temperature over Antarctica, and this is this is where what what we see in the winter, and particularly in the stratosphere in the winter time, in our winter time, the stratosphere um, becomes quite cold because it doesn't see much sun. And so this is when we get what we call the polar vortex. Uh, so the stratospheric polar vortex. And over the South Pole, you have very, very strong westerly winds. And by very strong, I mean, you know, they can be up to about 200 kilometers an hour and they spin incredibly quickly around the South Pole. And when this happens, you see, because this, this drop, drop in temperature, faster faster wind speeds. And uh, it's it's not until about kind of November, December, that this vortex breaks down, you know, with the return of, of the sun and the return of warmth to the South Pole. And so this all feeds into what happens at the surface and, and how the SAM responds as well to these temperature differences. So, yeah, so it's really, you know, so you really see this, this strong impact from, you know, from the, from the changes in temperature over the pole on the SAM activity. I think you've just described, what, for me, why... Why I suspect we get that flip in the SAM's response in Victoria, that it does a particular thing in winter, but in summer, it does the opposite. And it's, is that to do with because, yeah, we're getting the different way Antarctica is behaving because it sees more sun in summer and something changes? Or is is that what's going on or not? That's That's a really good question. But so it's that that's not really the driver of those changes in in the seasons so the the main reason for those different seasonal impacts is to do with the subtropical ridge which is something else that we got to throw into the mix here 
out of the equator, as you know, you know, so the equator is, of course, a huge source of a kind of um, hot, hot spot, of course, because it's the hottest part of the planet. And so what, what we see is a lot of um, air movement from the tropics into the, the subtropics. So that's, you know, just, just, just out of the tropics, both in the northern and, hemis and southern hemispheres. So if we're just talking about the, the, the southern hemisphere, thinking about Australia, we have this airflow moving out of the tropics up high and then uh, descending down to the surface over Australia. That's why Australia is, you know, generally kind of over the middle of Australia. It's arid, you know, it's dry um, because we see a lot of descending air. We don't see too much rainfall there. And and this is this is known as the subtropical ridge zone. So, the, you know, the, so a ridge connects regions of high pressure. So it's very high pressure over this region across Australia generally. And this is known as the subtropical ridge. What happens is when we move into the summertime, the monsoon develops over northern Australia. So we see a lot of low pressure centres forming over northern Australia. You know, the rainfall moves in, the winds change, and these monsoon lows uh, push the subtropical ridge further south. And so what this does is then it shifts the mid-latitude wind belt further south. So it's this kind of so you know, it's kind of like the monsoon moves in. It says, "Okay, you guys get back," and it just pushes everything further south. Um, so that's why in the spring to summer period you see um, different impacts to the SAM uh, compared to in the winter. Because in the winter the monsoon heads into the northern hemisphere and everything kind of relaxes back a bit further north towards the equator. And so those that subtropical ridge shifts further north. The mid latitude westerly wind belt shifts further north as well. And then you see these different impacts on Australia. So it's really driven by that position of the subtropical ridge, which then, of course, is influenced, as I said, by the monsoon uh, taking shape in the summertime. That explains how, so when we have, so in winter, uh, that pressure ridge is more further northwards. The Antarctic air masses are closer to Australia. Uh, and the, and the, the, the negative SAM, which is where, which allowing the fronts to move closer to Australia can potentially make it wetter south of the divide in particular. And then we have the positive southern anti-load spinning faster and pulling those fronts away and potentially drying off that area. And then we get to summer <laughs> and that, the, yeah, the pressure ridge has moved further down and and all of a sudden, the behaviour of Sam completely does the bizarrest thing. You get this this flip where where the positive Sam now potentially gives greater rainfall, particularly to eastern parts of Victoria. And in spring, there's a bit of an effect in sort of far east Gippsland, I suppose. But and because there's this yeah, during the positive Sam, you get more of this east, seemingly get more of this easterly flow coming into that region out of the Tasman Sea. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's how I can quite clearly see it kind of in my mind's eye when I look at these rainfall patterns. Because as you said, in the winter, you see those drier regions over the southwest uh, and the southeast of Australia associated with the positive SAM. Um, moving into the summer, those, those shift further south. So it's really just Western Tassie. That, that, that gets the drying impact in the summer. But that, that drying, as you say, over the mainland, the, the southwestern and southeast parts, particularly the southeast, 
that's replaced by, as you say, you know, this, this onshore easterly flow. And, and in fact, when, when you look at the winter signal, you can see that onshore easterly flow a bit further north. So it's kind of more that kind of, you know, northern New South Wales, kind of northeastern New South Wales region where you see some increased rainfall. It, it's, not a, it's not a huge spatial signal, but it, but it is there. You can see it. And then, you know, as, as we move into the summer, and the whole lot shifts further south. You can see that really developing quite strongly uh, around the you know the eastern New South Wales and eastern Victorian regions. So I think we did allude earlier, Andrew, as to as to how quickly the SAM changes. Is that it? When when you see the SAM graft, it's this wiggling line normally that's sort of you know it changes over a weekly sort of scale normally, I suppose. But it's um it's not something that's sitting still very long, Andrew. It's constantly on the move. We do fairly well with predicting the SAM, considering that, you know, that it occurs right across different timescales. As I mentioned earlier, we have the, you know, well, as you just said, you know, it can vary daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally. And, you know, it, it often can depend on what else is going on. So the SAM's influenced, for example, um, by, you know, can be strongly influenced by El Nino and La Nina. So when we have these El Ninos, La Ninas, we can see sustained periods of of SAM activity. So La Nina, like we had last summer, typically gives us a positive SAM. So that's, that's a, you know, we, we can see a positive SAM response often. So the SAM has been positive for many months over, you know, over last spring, summer to early autumn. Um, and then when we have El Nino, we often get the negative SAM phase. So that can, in, that can give us extra skill for predicting the SAM. I've often thought, particularly in winter, the SAM is not, it's not something you can, as I'm thinking as, as a farmer here, it's, it's not something you can sort of, predict either Sam's going to do something therefore you know this is what is what might happen on the farm I've often thought the Sam is something it's probably best look back in retrospect you go gee it's really quite dry and oh look the Sam has actually turned out to be you know positive over a long many months during the winter but it it's something that kind of creeps up on you when you look back in retrospect rather than um, necessarily looking forward a fortnight and and thinking what's going to happen because it depends on the on the time scale that that you're interested in for any you know particular decision that that you're making so for those short term you know decisions kind of a week or two out then you know then you can look at the sam forecast and you can get a good indication of what's coming but you know really as you say kind of if if you're looking you know beyond a month then it's really not until about the spring and the summer when you're going to get predictability beyond that that time scale, you know, when the SAM can, can really be drawn out across months and seasons linked to other things going on around the place. For any given SAM event, there are also other things going on. And, and that's what can make it, um, you know, quite challenging at times to to kind of, you know, I guess, to, to isolate its effects from everything else going on. So often you can see a SAM happening at the same time as an MJO event or a SAM happening at the same time as, you know, IOD or, as you mentioned, a blocking event. And in the spring, you see SAM and blocking often line up. So you do often see, you know, when, when you see SAM activity, then you'll often see a block kind of out over you know, kind of around the Tasman Sea and also possibly one to the southwest of Australia. So, you know, so there's a whole mix of things going on here. And, and, and that's really what, what my work does a lot of the time is to is to try to tease apart these different drivers and to understand their individual influences, but also their combined influences. I think it was uh, Kate Doyle from ABC who described uh, the SAM as being the teenager of climate drivers. It's temperamental, misunderstood and increasing in strength. And I think that's actually quite a nice description for the SAM. Um, 
it pretty much sums it up, I think, and pretty much agrees with what you're saying, Dale. Sometimes the southern annular mode doesn't behave as expected because one or more other climate drivers enhance or nullify the expected conditions locally. I did a, a, a trip to part of the Pilbara and Gascoigne a few months ago and spoke to a lot of farmers out there. And uh, something that I noticed when I was preparing for that trip, because I was you know, looking at these different climate drivers and my role, you know, part, part of my role was to was to talk about these drivers and their impacts on that region. And what I found was that when one driver is acting alone, there's not much of an impact on that part of the world. But when you see these combining drivers, you can see these compounding effects. And so you can see that happen. And we, we saw that in the summer of 2019, 2020, uh, when we had, you know, we had a Central Pacific El Nino event, which generally gives us, tends to, uh, um, like El, you know, elevate the the risk of of fire danger uh, over much of Australia. Also, the positive Indian Ocean Dipole uh, has a similar impact, the negative SAM, a similar impact. And we even saw uh, at that time the MJO in spring moving into a couple of phases, which also can give us higher risk of extreme fire weather. And I've just finished, I've just published a paper on this work, actually, looking at these different climate drivers and their impacts on extreme fire weather. And because we can see how they influence extreme uh, rainfall, ex- uh, you know, or dry, dry conditions in this case, and you know, extreme temperatures. So when we do get these these compounding drivers, we, we, we can see these these effects reinforced by, by, by these by this mix of drivers. And the opposite can be true as well, where we might see something happening. You know, so we, we might be looking at the previous month's rainfall and and it, and it might be that we've seen pretty average rainfall, but we had two strong climate drivers. But it could be that those climate drivers had competing effects on this region that ended up having average average rainfall. So we can see, yeah, these drivers interacting and their effects combining or even cancelling out to influence rainfall over different parts of Australia and temperatures and, and, and other things too. Andrew explains some of those classic SAM events and describes the conditions we experienced at the time. So, for example, if we're talking about the SAM in winter, there was the kind of the middle of the year 2010, for example, uh, where we saw a positive SAM. And this was during the development of that really strong La Nina event that, that happened in 2010 to 2012. And so what we saw was very strong low pressure over the South Pole and, of course, the higher pressure, the ring of higher pressure that passed over uh, southern Australia. Uh, and so we saw that kind of classic uh, impact on Australian rainfall where we had drier conditions over the southwest and the southeast. So we saw some some very dry conditions there, uh, the kind of June to July of 2010. It was quite dry in the Victorian Mallee that year. I, I know eventually came wet, but for some people that was too late because there yeah, the SAM had done the damage. It was it had stitched up the rainfall in winter before the you know, the La Nina and that sort of weak negative IOD kind of kicked in. Yeah, I mean, you know, just kind of looking at the rainfall signal, you know, over Victoria, I mean, most of Victoria was dry um, for that, you know, for that event. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite a you know, quite a memorable event, that one. Yeah, we, you know, we have some other examples, you know, if we're talking again about the winter, but perhaps uh, looking at negative SAM, um, there was July 2007, quite a strong event. And again, we saw, uh, you know, impacts there. So we saw some wetter conditions over the south, uh, west and southeast, but a really dry spot over much of the east further north of that position. So remember, I spoke about, you know, in the winter, we do get that that rainfall response further north. So 
you know, large parts of southeastern Queensland and northern New South Wales, uh, actually much of Queensland, had very dry conditions. So that was another example. The southern annular mode affects not only rainfall, but temperature as well. Andrew explains how SAM influences extreme temperature and rainfall conditions. I've done quite a bit of work myself on this with regards to the extremes. About seven years ago, I did a fair bit of work on the impacts on on extreme heat um, and a little bit on um, extreme rainfall as well. But yeah, mostly looking at that temperature signal. What we find is, is that when the SAM is in its positive phase, we tend to get some cooler conditions over much of the country. And, and this is something that um, Harry Hendon and co-authors showed in their 2007 paper as well. But then I went on to look at extreme heat and you really see generally the, the extremes, particularly when it comes to extreme temperature, tend to follow closely to that temperature variability. So during the positive, Sam, you have a lower chance of having extreme heat conditions and heat waves. But when the SAM is negative, you tend to get those higher chances of extreme heat. So th- this is this is often because you know for the west for, for the negative SAM phase, you can get both the reduced uh, rainfall signal, particularly in the spring to summer over the southeast, and um, uh, but but also you get stronger westerly wind anomalies, uh, and so they can drive some warmer conditions into the southeast. So yeah, neg- negative SAM we we tend to associate negative SAM with a higher likelihood of um, of extreme heat conditions. We know climate change is likely to affect the climate drivers, but the SAM appears a complex beast to nut out and its long-term changes on Victorian rainfall appear unclear. We've had a positive trend in the SAM over the last, say, 50 years or so, and this is linked to both the loss of ozone in the stratosphere and greenhouse forcing. I, I think a bit more so to do with the ozone loss because we know that you know that, that um, ozone gathers in the stratosphere and we see a lot of ozone in the stratosphere over the South Pole. So we, we you know, when, when we've seen ozone loss over the years, of course, um, you know, going back a few decades, we had the, you know, the harmful uh, chlorofluorocarbons and the chlorine uh, related to, to, to that chemical uh, interacted with, with very cold clouds um, and uh, caused uh, ozone loss uh, in the stratosphere. So what that does, of course, because the ozone in the stratosphere warms up the stratosphere, so we have a loss of ozone, it cools down, and that polar vortex, those kind of winds speed up. And so what we see is generally those westerly winds speeding up and the SAM uh, kind of yeah, tending towards a more positive trend. So that's that's what we've seen in uh you know as, as i say in kind of the last 50 years or so but yeah this this trend is uh consistently positive in the summer and it's been shown to be kind of weak weakish in the winter but it's but it's still there uh and and uh yeah so th- there's there's been a lot of work that's um been done to understand these impacts of 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 you know changes in our climate um and you know kind of our warming trend as well on on sam trends and another influence on that, of course, is is coming from expansion of the tropics. You know, so we know with our warming trend, the tropics is expanding, and that's also pushing these systems further south. And that's and that's that you know that's that that warming trend influence, and that affects the wind flows. 
And so if those winds are being pushed further south, then of course that's, you know, that's um, affecting things like, like the water supply. So we, we're definitely seeing, you know, when, when these things influence those westerly winds that circumnavigate the southern hemisphere, then then they're going to then, you know, feed onto the SAM activity and we're going to see changes in the SAM that are linked to the changes in those westerly wind flows. Our key question, I think, over the last few years has been, you know, do the do the trend, does the positive trend in the SAM, um, can, can that explain the decline in winter rainfall over southwest and southeast that we know, you know, is is, is there and we've, and, and we've seen? And there's been a bit of work done, uh, say for Tasmania as well, looking at you know changes in rainfall and long-term changes in rainfall. So yeah, you know, I, I think there's you know there's a lot of work still to be done there in understanding you know the the impact of these changes on different regions around the country. I know there's a lot of ongoing work uh, in in research on that now. So I think yeah, kind of watch this space and we'll find you know we'll learn some more some some more about this pretty soon. I think. We greatly appreciate Andrew spending time with us in this episode. In the show notes, you can find the links to the Southern Annular Mode forecast and more details about the SAM. You can also get in contact with Andrew if you would like to ask a question. You can also get in contact with us at the.break at agriculture.vic.gov.au. Thank you for listening to My Rain Gauge is Busted. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria and the tribe. O-S-O-I-N-S-S-T's And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break Oh, this bloke Dale, he's rich, he digs He knows about the subtropical ridge The science comes in a secret code But he knows about the southern annular mode Well, it's SST anomaly Lead us to a death cell of one, two, three The Nino 3 and Nino 3.4 Well, I've never heard of these terms before About S-O-I and SSTs And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date and get the break. Or keep your eyes out for Enso. Will it rain then? If so, when so? The farmers need you to be specific. What's happening out in the Pacific? For westerly wind bursts blow away. All our hopes of that rainy day. And will this year bring an El Nino? Come on, tell us, Dale. Cause we have to know about SORs and SSDs. What on earth is an IOP? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get it right. SORs and SSDs. And what on earth is an IOP?